talking about, uh, again, this, this focus of be my witness last week was missions over there. You know, so that international mission field mentality with Breath of Heaven and now IMB missions over there. So today what we're going to talk about is missions anywhere. Has anybody ever been on the mission field? Been on the mission field? Other countries? Been outside of the United States? Okay. So you've had that opportunity to, to go onto the mission field to basically take the word of God, whether it was through actual teaching and preaching or whether it was through testimonies or just uh, service through uh, helping a community, serving food, maybe you did the VBS program with the kids in the community, whatever it might have been. Being on the mission field, on the international mission field, gives us a perspective I honestly believe every single one of us needs to have. We need to have it. It, it really enlightens you and opens your eyes to what we have or don't have, what others have or don't have, how God has blessed them or blessed us. It's just that overall world perspective that is good for any of us to have. Now, I didn't think personally me, I was going to ever go on the international mission field. I didn't think that was for me. I never heard that, that voice of God telling me, you're going to go to this country, you're going to go here, you're going to go there, you're going to go everywhere. I didn't think that was it, but obviously God had other plans. He had other uh, ideas. Isn't that the case for a lot of us? And so I found myself, I've been down to Mexico on numerous occasions. I found myself down in Belize serving in communities down there and, and preaching in, in a church down there. I found myself, as you guys have heard, in, in Zambia, Africa on a couple of occasions. And so there have been opportunities where God has opened the door for me to go on the international mission field, even though I was this little homebody guy that didn't want to leave my hometown. But again, perspective. And what it's allowed me to see and view from other people and in the culture and how they're raised. But what defines a missionary? I want you to think about that for a moment. What defines a missionary? I'm going to give you a few seconds. Put in your own words, in your own head. How would you define a missionary? What do you think about? Now, I am going to ask you to raise your hand. How many are thinking of the international mission mindset? Anybody think other countries? Okay. It's okay. There's no shame. It's all right. It's the right answer. That's because that's part of being a missionary, right? To go, to be sent. That's what missionary means. It means a messenger, one who is sent. But I want to define the word a little bit differently for us today. Not that the international mission field is not right. If you have that vision in your mind or maybe places that you've been specifically, that's okay. Hang on to those images. We need to remember those. But I want to give you a definition that I think can apply when we talk about missions anywhere. This definition will help. And this is going to, it's going to be up on the screen. It's going to be a, the first blank in your notes there. The first slide says being a missionary doesn't mean you have to cross the sea. It doesn't mean you have to cross the sea. Yes, that is the first thing that we think about. If we go to scripture, we think about God's call to the disciples, his apostles, especially guys like Paul, who literally went on missionary trips and journeys to help establish the church around the world. We think about that mentality, and that is a good definition. A missionary is one who picks up, forsakes all, to go to other countries where people have not heard the gospel to bring it to them. But in this case for today, a missionary doesn't mean you have to cross the sea. This is the second half, and this is what should resonate with all of us. 
It just means you have to see the cross wherever you go. You don't have to cross the sea. You just have to see the cross wherever you go. Meaning what? You keep Jesus before you at all times. So whether you're going to the kitchen, whether you're crossing the street, whether you're driving to work, whether you are giving up and going to the International Mission Field, the definition applies. You just have to see the cross. The perspective of who Christ is and what he did for us is what matters in all that we do. But there are things that we need to consider in doing that before we hit the mission field. Isn't there? Is there preparation involved in going on the mission field? Everybody say yes. Yes, there is. And that's kind of what we're going to focus on today. What does that preparation look like? But I want you to think about something first. You ever thought about the name of the book of Acts in the Bible? Technically, it's called what? The Acts of the Apostles. It primarily is the story of their commission after Jesus had ascended to heaven. He commissioned them to go and preach the gospel to all the world. And so they are now, the book of Acts tells of their actions, their acts to do just that. Primarily speaking to Peter and Paul and all the work that they did that God did through them really is the way we need to put it. But it's a beautiful book that really takes a look at the life of a missionary. But did all 12 and more of the apostles only go to places outside of Jerusalem? Did they all go to the outermost parts of the world that they, that they knew at that time? No. Many ministered right there in Jerusalem. Right there in Galilee, right there in Judea and Samaria, and then others went across the sea. It's just wherever the Lord commanded them and took them on that journey. The two popular passages of scripture that I, that I think maybe come to mind when we talk about this idea of being a missionary, one is the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus is commissioned to his apostles Prior to his ascension, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And the beautiful promise of verse 20 is, and I will be with you, and I will be with you wherever you go. But that idea of making disciples, this is our commission, disciples who go and make disciples. Who then go and make disciples. And the dominoes continue to fall. But we also heard when Jesus appeared to his uh, disciples after his resurrection. If you go to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Where we get the name of our focus. He speaks to his disciples and says after receiving the Holy Spirit. He says to them and you will be my witnesses. Where? Everywhere. In Jerusalem. And in all Judea. And Samaria. And to the end of the earth. You see what he did? Jesus said, you're going to be my disciples. You're going to baptize people. You're going to bring the gospel here, 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 and over there. Everywhere. In your church. In your community. In the communities you don't really want to go to. And all these places that you've never even heard of. That's what it means to be my witness. That as we go, 
as we leave our house, as we go into our community, as we come in and out of church, as we drive and as we commute, wherever we go, we need to have the mentality of the cross before us, the commission to make disciples. And I know that might give a lot of people some anxiety. I've got to share the gospel. I've got to preach. I've got to stand on a box in the, in the town square and, and, and holler at the top of my lungs. I've got to walk through pe people through scripture. Yeah. <laughs> you do. In one respect. But you also have to love them. You have to serve them. You have to be Jesus to them in the flesh. And give them an idea of what the love of Christ looks like. You know, it's often said that people don't really care about what you know until they know that you care. You heard that phrase before? People aren't going to care what you know until they know that you care. It's relationship. If you love them, serve them, be there for them, listen to them, understand their perspective and their life, their circumstances, then they're going to be more often than not going to lend their ear to you to hear about the hope that you have in Jesus. But it has to start with love, service, and sacrifice. Kind of sound like Jesus anyways, doesn't it? Amen. Absolutely. So, what do you have to do in order to cross the sea? What do you have to do? What's the preparation involved in order to cross the sea? We're going to look at three things today. And number one, you have to study the word of God. I'm going to say that again because I know that doesn't sound very deep. Because it doesn't say you have to peruse the Bible. It doesn't say you have to read the Bible. It says you need to study the Word of God. Reading is good. Devotion time is good. But can we admit, I won't call anybody out and have you raise your hand, but can you admit there are times you do your devotion, you get up, you get dressed, you leave the house, how many have completely forgotten what their devotion was by the time their car admission starts? I'll raise my hand. You don't have to, but I'll, I'll call myself out because it happens all the time. Now, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. How many of you are in your devotion time and you forgot the sentence you just read two seconds ago? <laughs> Because of our mind and what's filled in our mind and the distractions we have in life, right? Because isn't that the attack of the enemy? The moment you sit down to get into the presence of God, he says, here, think about that. Think about that. Remember what you did 14 years ago at that moment on that morning to that person? There you go. Let's think about it. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? He's just going to do anything possible so you don't take in the knowledge and wisdom of God's Word, but we need to study the Word of God. How many have heard of the Bereans from Acts chapter 17? We need to be a Berean. The answer is why, if you have not heard of this group of people. Paul and Silas are on their missionary journey. I believe it's his second missionary journey. He is in around the region of Greece at this time, establishing the church, preaching the gospel, and he leaves Thessalonica, and he goes to a town called Berea. And there he encounters a group of people that are passionate to receive God's word. And it says in Acts 17, verse 11, they receive the word with all eagerness. That's a good thing. I think you're here in church today because you are eager to hear from the word of God. At least that's my hope. That's my prayer. 
but took it a step further. They weren't just eager and excited about God's word. It says they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. To see what, what things are so. The word that Paul was preaching. The gospel he was giving. It says they were, they were welcoming it with eagerness. They were excited about it. But they also examined those words. They listened and then they went directly to the word of God to see if what they were saying made sense and was actually true. That's what we need to do. So are we just eager to receive the word of God? Do we long for it? Do we study it? Do we search for it daily? Remember what God's word says. We're told in John 1, 1 that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word. We're told in John chapter 4 that he is the living water. We're told in John 6 that he is the bread of life. Do we hunger for the word of God? I've heard a lot of pastors say, I will never use the phrase, feed on God's word. I'm going to feed the sheep. They say, I just don't like that. It doesn't make sense. Well, too bad. Because that's exactly what Jesus told Peter. Feed my sheep. With what? The word of God. Saturate them with the bread, the water, the living word. We need to chew on it. Scripture also makes it very, very clear, uh, attaching the word of God to food. Right? Look at Hebrews chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up on the screen behind me. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 says, About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He goes on to say, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. I know that sounds harsh. <laughs> But there are, there's going to come a time where we've got, we've got to stop the basic outer layer, layer understanding of the Word of God. And we've got to start digging deeper and deeper and deeper. Why? Because we accumulate knowledge. We, we start to understand the wisdom of God the more and more we take from it. He goes on to finish out in Hebrews 5. He says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Constantly in the word of God. Examining to see truth versus lie. You're hearing things out there, maybe from pastors, preachers, or whatever else. Are you going back to the word of God to examine the scriptures to make sure that what they're declaring from these pulpits is truth according to Jesus Christ? And I'm telling you right now, you need to do that even with me. I'm not above that. I want you to own this so much so that what you hear, if there's anything that you are sitting there and there's something that comes out of my mouth and you go, what? What did he just say? Then go home and examine the scripture. It's why I publish my notes. It's why I want you to take notes. It's why we put the scriptures up here and, and, and write them down. And you have the, your, your Bibles on your phones and, and your physical Bibles to turn pages. Use it. There's nothing wrong with, and I, and I say this carefully, destroying your Bible for the sake of its study. You ever seen someone's Bible? It's, it's just so messed up. Pages are falling out. Pages are ripped and shredded. There's no, there's no more words to highlight because they've highlighted in every color possible. You seen a Bible like that? My grandpa had a Bible like that. 
Well, what are you doing to this thing? It's not a coloring book, Papa. Well, no, no, I'm studying it, taking words, diving into it. That's what we need to do. If we're not growing, then what's hindering us from doing so? You know those distractions that come? Sometimes we just fall into it, don't we? We rest in it. We entertain it. And then all, before you know it, we're completely far away from where we started. We need to get back to it. What do you need to get rid of and replace with more of the Word of God? Proverbs 3, 5 says, do not lean on your own understanding. So when you stop studying, when you stop taking in the Word of God, you're leaning on yourself. That's pride. That's arrogance. That says, I'm content. I'm comfortable. I know enough to get by, or at least enough that I don't have to defend my faith. And now I'm just going to go ahead and walk through life with my own understanding of how this works. You don't get to breathe without studying God's word. There is not a time in your life where you should stop. There is no retirement as a Christian. When you're 90, 99, if the Lord tarries and you can make those triple digits, you continue to study, continue to grow. Proverbs 18, 15 says, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, which means practical understanding. That's something we need to write down and grab onto. Study of God's word leads to practical understanding, which leads to action. You don't just read it to take it in and then do nothing with it. It's more than that. It's not just gathering information about God. It's about understanding who he is, his character, his heart for his people. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. We use this as, as one of our core value uh, passages of scripture it says my son if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding yes if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding and I was a teacher for a long time. And there were times when I would ask questions and it would just be silent. There was a lot of those moments like, was this thing on? Did I actually say the words out loud? Because I'm looking for an answer, but nobody would say anything. Then there were other days where I'd have students that really go, Listen, I don't understand, I don't get it. And they'd get frustrated because they just don't get the information. But what are they doing? They're crying out for understanding. They want to know. And so they're asking questions, they're seeking more, they're doing more research. Are we doing that with God's word? Are you studying? Are you acquiring? What is the depth of your reading and studying of the word of God? Are you here? And that's where you need to be? Praise God. If you're at that five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes a day moment, and that's where you need to be, good. Be there. But don't stop there. Go to 10, go to 15, go to 30, go to an hour. So by the end of the week, you can look back and go, I've read God's word more than I have scrolled social media or watch TV. So there's hours in the word of God every week, not just a check mark because you did a quick devotional on you version and, and moved on with your day and never got into the word of God and never thought about that devotion again. Don't get me wrong. Those devotions are fantastic. They are so good. 
They've got a lot of depth to them. I use them myself. But don't count it good and done and move on. It should require more, searching more. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So much in the word of God that it is literally making you think differently about the world before you. How you view the world, how you view people, how you view the problems that are before us. You know, there is a, a huge difference between being informed and acquiring information and actually gathering knowledge for practical use. And I think you know that difference. But somebody clarified it for me one time, and I thought it was pretty cool. His name is Denzel Washington. Anybody know who he is? <laughs> Amazing guy. In fact, what I'm hearing, I haven't done a lot of research, but I'm hearing he's fully committed his life to the Lord as of, as of late. Like, just really going after God these days, which is amazing. But there is one thing I heard that he said, just it resonated with me. And people were asking him about culture and about the news and about the issues of the day. He said this. He's all, I have to watch the news. But here's the problem. If I watch the news, I'm misinformed. So if I don't watch the news, I'm uninformed. So what's your choice? Do you want to ignore it all and be uninformed about what's going on in society? Or pay attention to all those news sources out there and really get a lot of misinformation because nobody's really telling the truth. Or they're both telling the truth from their perspective. So what's important to us? Do we want to be informed, misinformed, or uninformed? And what's the depth of that knowledge and information we're taking in? So much so that it causes us to give it away because we're seeking it so much but listen to this God wrote a book for you <laughs> he wrote a book for you it's your manual it's your instructions it's your GPS your playbook your curriculum your field map your bread water truth life why would we take it lightly and not do anything with it we're just casually pick it up now and again because we're a Christian it needs to mean so much more so step one in preparing to cross the sea is study the Word of God. Number two, encourage the people of God. We need to encourage the people of God. You know what it means to encourage? To literally put courage into other people. How do you do that? Think about how you encourage somebody. And we need to do that on a regular basis. And Scripture even tells us, especially... For the people of the faith, especially for those that we attend church with. We need to encourage each other all the more. So how are we doing that? It literally means to give support, confidence, and hope. And I like this definition, to stimulate the development of an activity, state, or belief. How are you stimulating one another to continue on in the study of God's word? How are you encouraging one another to continue to live their faith? Are you having those kind of conversations? Something to think about. How do we do this on a practical daily basis? Well, let's go back to the Word of God. Acts chapter 2. The first church. The first gathering. In Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Did you hear that? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What are they doing? They're studying the Word of God. It says, and to fellowship. 
encouragement, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Did you hear the words there? They were devoting themselves to the study of God's word and fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. Day by day, going to the temple together. Day by day, breaking bread together. That's how we are going to encourage one another and stimulate one another to continue to move forward in faith in what God has us do. Now, I want to make an interesting note. In Acts 2, we heard about the first church and how they operated. It's very interesting, the correlation between the first church and the development and growth of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. In Luke chapter 2, verse 40, we hear about Jesus growing. In Luke 2, 40, it tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom. What did the first church do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were growing in wisdom. If you look at Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, Jesus grew in favor with God and men. And what did we just read about the first church in Acts 2? They grew in favor with all people. Because they were setting themselves up to study the word of God, who is Jesus Christ, and living it to the community around them. So when we live like Jesus, there is no doubt we'll be an encouragement to one another. And to those around us who may not know him very well. And we've got opportunities to do that all the time, don't we? Whether you're at work, at home, in the community, at the grocery store, in line at bank, whatever you're going to do, wherever you're at, there are opportunities because everywhere you look, there are people. <laughs> and you have an opportunity to be an encouragement to an individual. But we've got to listen to what Jesus is telling us to do. So we ought we to enjoy the same type of fellowship as we attend church together, as we eat together, take communion and pray together, serve together, in small group together, setting this place up and tearing it down, cleaning up food and cupcakes and alcohol from the floor. That's fellowship. may not be fun <laughs> week after week after week, but it's fellowship. It's encouragement because we get to then turn into this place to then come into the presence of God. And worship together. Let me ask you a question, a couple questions about community. Number one, are you caring for one another? Take a moment and look around. Look to your right, look to your left, front, back, all around. This is your church family. All you here today are committed to this church. Are you caring for these people? But are you also allowing yourself to be cared for? Are you sharing your hurts, your hang-ups, your hiccups with one another? We need to do that and be willing to do that. Have some humility to say, I need help. I'm not doing good. I'm hurting. I'm in need in any respect. But that's going to take some humility to do that with the people you're closest to in the Lord. That's what this is for. Are you praying for each other? 
but are you also willing to share to be prayed for? These are things that we need to consider. And I'm going to say this, and this is just a gentle pastoral nudge. Please stop waiting around for people to come and save you. This is something that I personally struggle with. And if I struggle with it, I know somebody else struggles with it. And this is why a lot of people will say they've been hurt by the church. Nobody came to visit me. Nobody did anything for me. Nobody said hi to me. Nobody did this or that for me. Now, there is some truth to what they're saying in that mentality. But I also want to look at that individual and myself in the mirror and go, did you humble yourself and go ask for help? Did you approach anybody and say, I'm hurting, I need this, I need that, can you help me? Or know where I can find some help? We've got to be willing to cry out. We've got to be willing to ask. But it's not one or the other. It's both. We need to approach, and we need to be willing to approach. That's what family does for one another. We care for each other. We pray for one another. And that's going to encourage one another to continue on. That's what true biblical community is. In fact, Pastor David Guzik of Calvary Santa Barbara put community, biblical community this way. Listen to these words. It says, the Christian life is meant to be full of fellowship, of sharing one with another. Because we share the same Lord Jesus. We share the same guide for life. We share the same love for God. We share the same desire to worship him. We share the same struggles. We share the same victories. We share the same job of living for him. We share the same joy of communicating the gospel. So we need to do it together. Share with one another. Serve with one another. Work hard with each other. But lean on one another as well for the help that we need. Look at Romans chapter 15. What does it say? It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. There's the study of God's word. Why? So that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God the Father, or sorry, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The study of God's word should lead us to the encouragement of one another as the church. So let me throw this out there. The greatest way to bring encouragement is to do so with someone you typically would not associate with. That's a difficult thing to do. It's easy to encourage those that come here, and we need to do that. So please, don't, please hear me. I'm going to clarify. Those here, communing together, breaking bread together, worshiping together, serving together, encourage one another. Please, don't take away from that. But the encouragement we need to give is to the one who's difficult to encourage who may not be ready to receive encouragement because it's not up to you to force it into their mouth, into their heart, into their life, but just to offer it. 
and let that individual hear from the Holy Spirit, because that's the Holy Spirit's job. We just need to be willing. Scripture is clear. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but count others, excuse me, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Galatians 6, 10 says, let us do good to everyone. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. And keep doing it, and keep doing it, and keep doing it. Number three, we study the Word of God, we encourage the people of God, and then we act for the glory of God. We study God's Word, we encourage one another, and then we act, we go, we do for the glory of God. To have the vision, to see the needs of those here and there, anywhere that need Jesus. Remember I shared with you before, 1 John 2, 6 says, Those who will say they abide in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. And so it always begs the question, how did Jesus walk? We've already said it this morning, in love, in service, and in sacrifice for anybody that has need. How do we do that? How do we stay motivated to do that? Hebrews 12 tells us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's why to be a missionary, you don't have to cross the sea. You just need to see the cross wherever you go. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So again, I remind us, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I behold, I, am, I will be with you always to the end of the age. But let me point out three words you need to bold, highlight, circle, underline, or whatever you want to do in your Bibles or in your margins. In Matthew 28, it says, go. That's action. Technically, it's as you go. And then what's the next verb? Make disciples. You don't force somebody into discipleship. But as you are going, as you are living... You are constantly looking for those that you can disciple, encourage, share God's love with, serve, share the gospel with, your testimony, whatever it might be. The next word, baptizing, is action. The next word, teaching, is action. So much so that we study God's word, we're able to teach. And I will tell you this right now, every single one of us in this room, no matter how old, will be teachers one day should you stay enveloped in God's word. It doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. It doesn't mean you have to be an international missionary. It doesn't mean you have to stand up and preach. But you should be able to verbalize and explain God's word because why? You understand it at whatever level you're at. Acts 1.8, the basis of this focus we're in, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to ask for the Holy Spirit after you've given your life to Christ. It's immediate. You have Him. He's with you. The Spirit of God is in you. So how much power do you have to go and act and do? But what does it continue to say? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be. It's kind of not your choice. <laughs> Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. 
choose not to, and that's your choice. But in whatever respect God has you in, whatever career path, whatever age, wherever you're at, you can be, should be, a witness for Jesus Christ. Because when that Spirit of God is in you, it changes you. It transforms you. So that you can speak the words just like the apostles did. I can't help but speak to the things of God. It's who we need to be. And he goes on to say, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So we've been given the commission to go. It may take you two seconds. It may take you 20 minutes. It may take you 20 hours to travel wherever God is taking you. But you go, nonetheless. That commission to act, to go. I'm going to go through this very quickly because I want you to hear the words and then we'll bring this to a close. But if you need examples, one, you look to Jesus, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus. But he also gave us an entire chapter in the Bible, let alone the entirety of the Bible, but one chapter specifically dedicated as examples of those who obeyed and went and did and acted in the name of Jesus. I'm going to say these very quick, but I want you to hear the words. Hebrews chapter 11. Abel offered. Enoch pleased God. Noah constructed. Abraham went out, offered, and obeyed. Sarah believed and conceived. Isaac invoked blessings. Jacob blessed and worshipped. Joseph instructed. Moses refused riches, became enslaved, and then exited. The Israelites crossed. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Rahab believed and welcomed. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, they conquered, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched fire, escaped the sword, strengthened, made mighty, and defeated their enemies. Isn't life in Christ about action? At any level. We talked about Rahab through our study in Joshua. All she did was what? Open the door. She was hospitable. She welcomed that's all it took for her faith to be recognized by God above as she was saved and brought into the family of God. Others stopped the mouths of lions. So I don't care if you set out some pastries for people or you are defeating the wild beasts in the darkest parts of the corner of the earth. They are both seen as action commendable by God because you're being willing to be used by God. But you have to do what God calls you to do. You may not go... I don't want to deal with lions. I'm just going to go eat a donut and offer some, you know, somebody else a donut. No, you have to do what God calls you to do. That's where we don't really necessarily have a choice. You can. You can be obedient to God and enjoy in hope, in purpose, go and live for him, or you can choose not to. Your choice. But he's given us a command. So if there's anything we learn from that chapter in Hebrews, it's that faith and action go together. They are combined. They are united. You don't have one without the other. If you just have action, you're just a good person. You're a nice fellow. If you just have faith without action, scripture's pretty clear on that. Faith without works is dead. They go together. They have to go together. So, now that we've crossed the sea, did you guys catch the acronym, by the way? Yeah. The old teacher in me. We study the God, God's word. We encourage the people of God. And we act for the glory of God. And in that, we 
are ready to cross the sea wherever we go. So I'm going to ask again, anybody been on the mission field? I'll wait. Don't just nod, you raise your hand. Yes, everybody raise your hand. Because every single one of you in this room that have dedicated their lives to the Lord and say, yes, I am a follower of Christ, you immediately are a missionary for God. It doesn't matter where you are or where you go. Does that make sense? But in order to prepare to do that, you study God's word, you encourage others in their faith, and you act. And there is no greater two verses that sum up this. And I'm going to promise now, we'll close with this. Colossians chapter 3. It'll be up on the screen, but I want you to read it and I want you to listen. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How is that going to happen? Because you study the word of God. It goes on to say, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What are you doing there? You're encouraging one another, encouraging the people of God. And it closes and says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, and therefore you act. You study, you encourage, you act. So you don't have to cross the sea. You just have to see the cross. I love God's word. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray.